Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today's guest is Dr. Martha Saunders, the president of the University of West Florida. Dr. Saunders has worked in higher education for over three decades, serving in academic and leadership roles in universities in Florida, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Mississippi. Her vision for UWF is for it to grow beyond its beginnings as a regional university and be seen as a leader in innovation and cutting-edge academic programs. Martha is passionate about creating innovative solutions to deal with the dynamic challenges facing higher education today. Welcome, Dr. Martha Saunders. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Well, we're so happy to have you on our podcast. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Yes. All right. Now, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Well, uh, today I am president of the University of West Florida, but I will tell you I didn't set out to be a president. When I finished college on my undergraduate degree, they didn't make women presidents of anything. So it really wasn't something I said, well, I'm going to do this. Along the way, though, I did get a lot of opportunities and I did what I could. I worked in what we call in industry. I was in advertising and public relations and came into higher ed somewhat late in the game. I was in my late 30s when I began my doctorate but moved very quickly and got some good opportunities after that. Mm -hmm. And that led to three presidencies. This is my third. And the beauty of it is this is where I started. It is where I came up the faculty ranks and I came back and this is a labor of love. Wow, Martha, that's pretty impressive. Not just one presidency, but three. Now, how would you describe your leadership style? I think my staff would say I have an energetic leadership style. I'm passionate about what I do. I try to convey that because if I can't get excited about what we're working on, it's really hard for me to expect that from anyone else. I do believe I'm very inclusive and collaborative. I spend a lot of time thinking about getting the right people around the table. When we have decisions to make, when we're making plans, I want to make sure that all the voices are there and it may not be the usual suspects. It's not always the campus leadership. There may be others that we need to hear. So when you put together a team, what does a good team look like to you? A good team is priceless. There is no perfect team and we certainly don't have the luxury of going to the mall and picking out all the right compositions for a leadership team. Right. And teams evolve. Mm -hmm. And I think what is most important is that they complement each other. I expect my leadership team to 
first and foremost, know what they're doing and know their jobs. I expect them to try to understand what the others are trying to do and to challenge each other. The more they challenge each other, the more confident I am in the decisions that we make moving forward. When we're hiring people, first we look at can they do what we need them to do, but then I always say, do they want the job? You know, we're excited about what we're doing, and I'm not going to bring anybody in who's not equally excited about what we're doing, and they need to show that before they get to be on the team. And then I guess the final piece on any team is, can we work together? Because we spend an awful lot of time together. So you look for skills, you look for passion, and you look that your team connects well. That's right. Wonderful. Now, which quote speaks to your life and why? I just stick quotes everywhere and I'm always grabbing them. But the one that I use the most, especially when I'm talking with people on the leadership team or people who are in leadership, it's Mario Andretti's comment. He said, if you think you have it under control, you're not going fast enough. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's very characteristic of Mm -hmm. us here and it's never perfect. And I think in some ways it is dangerous to strive for equilibrium. We're moving too fast. Our industry especially is moving too fast to expect everything to be nice and steady and controlled. So this quote to me says that you're a risk taker. I am. And I think, you know, we're not reckless. And our university, we're 53 years old. We are by far not the oldest or the biggest or the richest. Mm-hmm. What we are, though, is agile, and that agility can lead us to taking risks or seizing opportunities that maybe others might not do. We make sure we have a safety net. We make sure we're responsible in our decisions, but we don't mind trying new things. Mm-hmm. Every now and then we say, well, that didn't work, and that's okay. We try new things, and we're very quick to assess what's working and what's not. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting, Martha. In my three years of doing a podcast, I have never heard a leader describe their organization, especially in education, as agile. That's very intriguing to me. Why did you drill down on that word? You know, we're always looking at our competitive advantages, (laughs) and that is one that we have today. Now, you know, universities don't move real fast. (laughs) a year and a half change curriculum even to add a course and there's all of that and so we realize we're going to be responsive to certainly the changing work environment that our students are going to we have to truly be responsive Uh, we have to listen and we have to turn we also need to seize opportunities when they are peer they are not going to be there forever And so the advantage we have here, by national standards, we would be considered a mid-sized university. We have about Mm -hmm. 13,000 students. In Florida, we're on the small side. But I can pick up the phone and have the leadership in my office in an hour, Mm -hmm. and I can lay it out and say, okay, here's what we have before us, and we can make a decision and move. We're that tuned into each other, and my top leadership their teams are equally agile. You know, we have pockets of 
stickiness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the quicker we get and the more agile we get, the more easily we're able to determine places that need to change. And as you said, to turn or pivot and cease opportunities. I love that because I think we need to be more of that in education. And you're right. We move very, very slowly. And in this rapidly changing world, we need to keep up. So I love that. Now, Martha, tell us about a leader who inspires you. There are so many. There's some that I've had. There's some that I've watched. But I think the one that always pops to mind is Winston Churchill. And the reason was his ability to use words and effect such incredible change and movement. And I mean, when you think of the stress that his country was under during the Blitz, a lot of people wanted to cave in. And all he had was words. And he would use those words and he would fire up his country and these people are scared and bad things are happening to them and he kept them encouraged. And I think if there's one thing I would ever wish for, it would be that ability to keep people encouraged to keep moving forward even when things are difficult. I love that story. Winston Churchill didn't start off that way. He was by his standards, an epic fail during the first war. But then he really turned around and he learned from his past. He learned. He learned. Yeah. And I <laughs> and think that's, that's such... what's important. He took that failure and said, now what can I do with it? Thank you so much for that. Now, Martha, what's the best advice you've ever received? Professionally, when I was a dean, I, I was moving up in administration and we had a president at the time, who really took a wonderful interest in his mid-level leadership. And we just happened to be on the sidewalk together one day, and he, he complimented my work, and he said, you ought to think about being a president. And, you know, I responded with, you know, the old, gee, shucks, I don't know, you know. But then he said, but we have taught you all we can teach you here. And you've got to go some other places and you've got to learn some other things. And that was incredibly generous advice because six months later he had lost a dean and I was a provost at another institution, but it was spot on. In our world, I don't think you can learn everything at one institution. And that brings a personal cost to it because you have to move sometimes in order to get the kind of experiences that make you, you know, a well-rounded and wise leader. Mm -hmm. And I loved how he had this vision for you. You weren't quite there yet. No, I wasn't. In his wonderfully succinct way, mm -hmm. he didn't say you're not good enough today, but he said you could do that. Mm. But you got to do a few other things first. He was very encouraging, and I do try to do the same thing. We want good things for people and our people here, and sometimes that means having to let them go to grow professionally other places. But they always leave us better than they found us. You know, and it makes sense how you described your leadership style as energetic and passionate, because I think he displayed the same thing for you. I think he did. And I have told him many times how grateful I am. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it shaped your life? 
there are, again, so many, you know, I think professionally, just, you know, the challenge of making the right decisions, the hardest part in my role are personnel decisions. When do you cut someone loose? And it's not one time, it's every time someone's not working out, you know, there's that awful moment that you're thinking that this is someone's life here. Right. And have I considered everything? And it never gets easier. It is always a challenge. The day it gets easy, I probably ought to stop doing this. But I have learned over time to recognize earmarks when someone would be better suited at another place. Right. And those are challenges for sure. But how has that shaped your life? I think it makes me very thoughtful. But also, I keep very close touch with the rhythm of the institution. If I don't have a real good handle on what's happening, what's the energy of the day, then I'm not going to make good personnel decisions. Mm. And so it shaped my leadership in that I keep an ear to the ground. And I spend a lot of time hanging out on my campus, just listening And I think that that is key to making the kind of decisions you make because you have to use what you got, uh, not what you wish you had (laughs) or what you had yesterday is what you have today. So that encourages you to just keep a pulse on what's going on. So that kind of motivates you to choose the right people as much as you can continue to be more intuitive and connect with your people so that you hit the mark more often. Than and not. there are some great people out there that I know would not do well here. Mm-hmm. They would do well somewhere else, mm-hmm. but they won't do well here. And I have to be confident in those decisions. Yeah, a president can get disconnected very easily. Mm-hmm. Much of our work is external. Not at all unusual for me to only be in the office one day a week. And you can't turn your back on the campus. That's who we're here to serve. Mm -hmm. And so it's very important that you keep very tuned in to what's happening, where the rhythm, are people getting tired? We work pretty hard. We move pretty fast. But sometimes it's time to say, that's enough for now. Let's stop and take a breath. Martha, thank you for sharing that. So can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? Most recently, it has been having our university ranked in the top two in Florida. Congratulations. Did you guys celebrate? Oh, we always celebrate. (laughs) Yes, we did. (laughs) Florida went to performance-based funding a few years ago, but this is the sixth year. And all 12 Florida universities compete. We get no quarter for being small. (laughs) We get no quarter for being younger than others. We are all measured the same. And the first year that this performance-based funding was in effect, we were on the bottom. Wow. And that did not feel good. And so we got busy. I put together a group that we call the War Room. (laughs) And so a group of people from campus who focused every week on making sure we have the right data, we're making the right decisions, And for the last three years, we have been in the top three of 12 universities. And again, that's in competition with them all. And this year, we rose to top two. We were one measly point Mm. behind the University of Florida. We'll get them next year. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very impressive. 
Hey leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Now, as I was reading your bio, one of the things that attracted me or, or just stood out to me, there are many things, but one in particular, it describes you as an entrepreneurial leader. Tell us about that. I think that, again, goes back to the agility discussion. If we're going to win, we need to do things differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to, in some ways, redefine what we're trying to do, but to be extremely receptive to opportunities. And so, you know, as an entrepreneurial leader, you are looking for things that you can benefit from. You can do things that you've always been doing, but you can do them differently. Mm -hmm. I strongly encourage that on campus. I said, just because we've always had freshman convocation the same way, that doesn't mean we can't do it differently. And I encourage that. And it really is amazing what you can get from people if you say, what would you do to transform us? And then for us, much of our success has been around building those partnerships with our region. We build programming, but we consider regional resources. And we partner up with something that's very strong in the region. And so then we become more than the sum of our parts. We don't try to be something that we're not. There are a lot of great schools out there, but there are probably not many that can do exactly what we do in the way that we do them. And so I do encourage trying new things. We put together an innovation institute because, as you know, Mm -hmm. universities don't always move very fast. So I needed what I called a flying squad who would grab those opportunities, connect them to the campus, try out new programming, and then once it develops, then it becomes more absorbed into the campus body. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they're off to the next thing, and they've done some really exciting work. And I think this is a great place to talk a little bit about what the University of West Florida offers. We are, as I said, 53 years old. We are a comprehensive university. We offer all degrees. We confer associate's degrees, baccalaureate degrees, master's degrees, and doctorate degrees. We have about 13,000 students. We were early adopters of online learning, and so we have a robust online presence as well, about 30-35% of courses are online. This part of Florida is considered rural, but it's a strong, strong military presence. So we have about one out of every five student is military affiliated. They're either veterans or dependents or active duty. And that colors a lot of what we do because, you know, a military environment is not always traditional. We have a lot of students, about a third of them are older than 25. Mm -hmm. And so the culture here is not as traditional, although we do have a strong traditional campus cohort. 
of freshmen who come and join fraternities and play in the marching band and those kinds of things as well. Our programming is strong all over, but we have identified programs of excellence. Cybersecurity right now is just leading the charge. Mm-hmm. And that has brought a lot of recognition to the school. We have started a doctorate in intelligent systems and robotics. Our student competitive groups go out and compete very, very well. Uh, so we have strong emphasis on STEM. We also have a very strong archaeology institute that has really given Florida back its history. Right now, they have uncovered the first settlement in the United States. It was the first a multi-year settlement, and it's right here in Pensacola, and they're excavating it now, 1559. Nice. You know, and Pensacola is a very historic area, so it's like you're just walking in a textbook here, That's and perfect. our students really do benefit. I love that, walking in a textbook, a very modern one. <laughs> lots and lots of history. Yes, all right. So many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners, especially in education. What does that mean to you, and what are you learning now? I read a lot, mm-hmm. and I always have a book going or two, and I also have audiobooks going in my commute to work. And I have discovered what I call the joy of Professor Google. <laughs> yes. Whatever I'm reading, and I have a rather eclectic taste, I'll read mysteries, and I'll read biographies, and I read lots of things, but something will pique my interest while I'm reading the book, and because I read digital books, I'll stop, and then I will say, you know, I need to know more about that, and so my mind just goes zinging off into something new. If I'm reading a book about the Duke of Windsor, then I'll stop and explore that whole time in history, but also I'm always trying to do something that I have never done before. Right now, I am studying Latin. Wow. (laughs) I took three years in school. And it's not that you need it every day, you know, in our world. And I'm Catholic. And so, you know, you hear a lot of Latin. But I thought, you know, I just really want to know more what these phrases mean. And so I have started taking Latin. (laughs) That is interesting. And so how's that going? Well, you know, Britannia est insula, (laughs) Florida est peninsula. Not so well. (laughs) But I love that you're so curious and continue to learn and certainly move forward. And yes, Professor Google is absolutely amazing. And I relate to that because I do the same thing. I come across something, even if I'm watching a movie, that I want to just dig deeper in. The fact that we can pause it and kind of divert our attention to going deeper is just loving learning. What a gift. Yes. What a gift. When you you think, you know, when I was growing up, you know, you had to go to the library. It was harder for sure. Well, and you could pull out all those reference books and I would just be giddy with encyclopedias. I thought they were just wonderful. And now, you know, you have all of this information at your fingertips. Yes. All right. So, Marta, if there were something you could change in education, what would that be? I think I would certainly want, in higher ed, would want us to uh, move faster, (laughs) but I want us to remember that it's not about getting a job. A good education will help you get a job, but that's not the point. When I talk, sometimes I'll meet with freshmen, 
and I'll say, why are you here? You know, the room goes silent. (laughs) And then some little hand in the back will go up and they'll say, you know, to get a job. And I'll say, well, that's good. And I said, and what does that get you? Because they need to be thinking about their life. (laughs) They need to be thinking about what they want out of life and how this education can help them do that, not just that job, as important as it is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the one that sort of bugs me. So I think it's not all about getting a job. Right. And that's certainly a change in our culture, because when I was making those decisions, it was about a job. The emphasis wasn't on my passion and what I love to do. Thank God I fell into what I love to do anyway, (laughs) which is education. Aren't we lucky? Yes, absolutely. So, Martha, what have you read, watched, or listened to that our listeners should as well, and why? I don't watch much television and I probably should because sometimes I feel left out when people are talking about what's newest on Netflix. But I read a lot. And one book I read that I just loved and I've been giving it as gifts, it's called Joyful, The Surprising Power of Ordinary Things to Create Extraordinary Happiness. And in reading it, it certainly has relevance in leadership. There are things that we can do just to make the workplace a more delightful place to be or the learning environment a more delightful place. And they're small things. I really enjoyed that. By the way, that doesn't (laughs) surprise me because as soon as we connected, I saw that smile on your face and you exude joy. And I'm sure that our listeners can hear it in your voice. Well, you know, you can find joy even in bad scenes, you know, I often say you can't have a bad day at a university. You can have a hard day, but you can't really have a bad day or shame on you if you do, Mm. because you're surrounded by all this hope and these young folks that have big plans for their lives. They don't know what it is, but it's going to be big, you know, and it permeates the environment. I read a book recently that I just thought was pretty cool. It's called The Only Woman in the Room. It's about the movie star, Hedy Lamarr. And I did not know that she not only got a star on the Hollywood Hall of Fame, she is also in the Inventors Hall of Fame. Bonus. She she was a scientist, and she and her partner invented the precursor to Bluetooth. And she was not recognized for that at the time, you know, during World War II, because they just said, well, if a woman invented it, probably can't be very important. Hmm. So it was a great book. I try to recommend that one to anybody, not just women. All right, great. Now, just listening to you, listening to how you view the world, your perspective on joy, your perspective on seeing the future in the eyes of the students, in the culture of the university. How do you set your mind for that? Because it's not easy to always see things that way. So what do you do, Martha, on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities you have? Well, <laughs> I get up at four o'clock in the morning and my husband and I live at the beach. And so at five, we're out walking mm-hmm. and we walk for about an hour. He's retired, but it gives me time to kind of talk about my day and shape it, which is real important. To me, before I leave the house, I need to have in my head what I need to get done that day. 
you know, if I have a mantra, which I guess I do, it is always just make it count. Whatever I'm doing, even if I mess up, <laughs> make it count for something, even right. if I'm someone's cautionary tale. <laughs> and, right. and, you know, when I focus that way, whatever happens during the day, it's going to be okay. So it's very intentional. It's important to set our minds. And I know most leaders that are doing great work do that. So thank you for sharing that with us. Sure. All right. So Martha, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I would tell myself, ask for help. I really suffered a lot more than I needed to because I didn't pick up the phone and call someone and say, you know, I really don't know how to do this. <laughs> you know, I'm stuck. And you don't have to know everything. Right. And I didn't have to know everything, but it never occurred to me mm -hmm. to pick up the phone and call someone. It wasn't that I was shy. It just never occurred to me that there was anyone out there who could be of help. But now, you know, looking back over all these years, I think of all those lost opportunities when I could have learned more, learned more quickly, and not learned everything the hard way. Well, I appreciate your authenticity, first of all, and that you're sharing it with us because now we get a chance to say, wait a minute, maybe I should ask for help when I'm stuck. And I still have to <laughs> remind myself, but at least now I do. I think, who can I call? And sometimes it's just I want to bounce things off them, or sometimes I have very specific need, and I don't mind doing that now. Thank you. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, I think you've asked some wonderful questions, and we're in a great field here. There's no better job than university work, and I just am so appreciative of your attention and others, and I look forward to hearing all of your podcasts to hear what others are saying. Martha, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. It's been such a great conversation. Enjoy. I really enjoyed it. Have a great weekend. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.